Welcome to Dead House. I am Dylan. I am Nathan. How are you? I'm well. I'm well. A little tired, but, you know, punching through the day. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm good. Well, you were in Melbourne this morning and I was in Sydney this morning. Yes, sir. <laughs> we here are, we are, currently in Brisbane. We both had quite the weekend, yet we timed it. So our, our flights took off and arrived about the same time so we could uh, cheat and get the same ride in. Thank you, Sean. Yeah, I mean, how serendipitous is that? Yeah, pretty lucky, but... Um, you were in Sydney seeing mm-hmm. Beauty and the Beast, yes. as uh, as the listeners will have heard, I think, in our last episode. I'm sure I brought it up, yep. We went down and saw my second ever musical theatre experience, and I mm-hmm. think this one was much... I'm not that the first one was bad, Family Opera, mm. but this one was like a magic show. Yeah, yeah like, you were it saying It had that. some special effects, some optical, and, like, illusions. Some optical illusions, some dude was levitating. Very nice. Uh, it was it had everything, had everything for, going for it. And you went to the zoo, Tronga Zoo? Tronga Zoo, always sad to go to a zoo, but mm-hmm. you know, that's fine. <laughs> Sending me lots of photos of breakfasts and espresso martinis, mm-hmm. Irish coffees. Mm-hmm. And paying way too much for it because Sydney <laughs> is expensive. Who would have thought? Well, I mean, I love Byron Bay, but I've got to go down there and pay 10 bucks for a coffee and have a vegan breakfast that's only got green shit in it. But yeah. man, good beach, good bookstore. I was in Melbourne. Uh, my father had a wedding party. Your father got married. Yeah, so we all thought, because it wasn't pitched as a wedding party, it was a because party. And, you know, it was a very, it was a covert operation. But nobody has, who, who has a because party and then invites people in from other states? Yeah. Gives them the like, heads up months in advance. Yeah, we're having a like a couple months from now. We're gonna have a party just because. Mm-hmm. Hey, uh, all our family and friends, could you just come to this party just because? You know, nothing yeah. important at all. No, we, we were on them because we knew they were engaged, but we suspected they were getting married at the party. Like that night was was it? No, oh, like one of them surprise weddings. Yeah, turns out they got married the weekend before. <laughs> this sure. that was just like a private one with friends um, at home, and this was like a, a family and. Friends gathering, and mm-hmm. uh, I was the photographer for the night. Oh, and, nice. Uh, so, free labor. Gotcha. Yep, gotcha. Yep. Understandable. I got paid in homemade bourbon, which was nice. That's And uh, I didn't have to pay for accommodation because they put me up for three nights. So Hell yeah. Yes. Congratulations, Dad. He's an avid listener of the pod. So, if you're hearing this, appreciate it. Listen to this on the... Well, you can't listen to this on the honeymoon. That'll be over by then. <laughs> Hope you enjoyed your honeymoon. Yeah, they went up to Mission Beach not far from Cairns, lucky bastards. Nice. It's now raining where <laughs> where we are. I'm sure it's not raining up there. Yeah, no, it'll be fine. But um, yeah, no, it was a good weekend. And uh, we're now recording this on a Monday afternoon yes. before we get back on the grind. Yes. And uh, this is going to be a good one because... Uh, okay, well... Good movie, sure. Yep. I yep. can't guarantee it'll be, be a good episode oh, no. of the podcast. The listening experience could be scattered. Yeah. Um, so usually, because we can record them a week in advance, whatever, usually we have the whole week to watch it. I had a very busy week, and then because we were in Sydney, I finished watching the movie. I've seen it before, obviously. Mm-hmm. I'm sure mm-hmm. most people have. The Thing, by the way. The Thing, uh, 1982. <laughs> yes. Uh, I finished watching it like half an hour before you got here. <laughs> So the notes, I'm guessing, are minimal to non-existent. Minimal to non-existent, but fresh in my mind. Yes. Well, that's uh, a plus, yeah. As fresh as my mind can be. You See, know. you take very few notes now when we record. You're, you're rarely glancing at your phone, whereas I like to be over-prepared and have all these these things that I notice while watching all these tidbits and the history of it and note it down because my memory is horrible. But I'm thinking I might need to take a page out of your book and go into these with just, you know, I can I can tangent 
and I can sort of freestyle it while we're recording and, and see how that goes. I don't know. I think it works this way because we got one person who makes all the notes and mm. then one person who doesn't and so can veer off suddenly to random directions. I can. We I can't can... both have no notes. We'll just not talk about yeah. the movie at all. We'll just be random tangents and shit. I can set up the cues and then you can go on from there. But <laughs> uh, yeah, I just worry that I'll forget little things that I want to mention. But yeah, the thing, it's um, it's taken us a while to get around to this. Um, this is the second John Carpenter film that mm-hmm. we've covered on the pod. But now, I think I stated in that episode that this is my preferred Carpenter film. Yeah, I thought this would have been in your top five, to be honest, way back when we did that. Ooh, well, you've touched on it. I was going to say, mm-hmm. re-watching this yep. might be in my top five. Ooh. It might, I think... The, uh, the Descent might be pushed out. The okay. thing might be pushed in. Interesting. The Descent's uh, probably in your top 10 though, right? Still 100%, yeah, in the top yeah. 10. Uh, but The Thing's the thing, it, because on the podium. I, I was going to come into this episode and say it might not be one of my favourites, mm-hmm. but I genuinely think it is one of, if not the best horror movie Yeah. Uh, yeah. in my uneducated opinion. Mm. And then kind of the more I thought about it and because of that, it's worked its way into one of my favourites. Yeah, okay. See, I always loved this film and um, as you know, big Carpenter fan, but I just always preferred, um, you know, Halloween and, and some of his smaller ones. But this was um, one that, uh, funnily enough, my dad actually and I uh, used to watch a bit when I was growing up. Um, and it it actually kind of flopped. Like on release, it was yeah. uh, it uh, got a lot of negative reviews. Both, yeah, both like financially, critically, and just mm. people didn't like it. And I think it was uh, like John Carpenter took it pretty badly. <laughs> yeah, because he's like, why is this doing so badly? I love yeah. this movie. I think this is his personal favorite uh, yeah, sure. of his filmography. Uh, and yeah, it's now like considered one of the greatest you know science fiction horrors of all time. Because that's kind of what this is. It's like a sci-fi body horror, mm-hmm. and uh, probably one of you know, the first of its kind in, in the 80s, at least. Uh, well, sure, yeah. Because I don't know how big, like, the... It's kind of a mix of... When did the stuff come out? Like, that one you were talking about, the marshmallow fluff? The stuff was 80s, and it would have been it would have been later than this. Later, okay. Because yeah. I was going to say, maybe it's a mix of the the stuff, Alien, and the blob. Yeah, okay. And it's interesting, too, because like... Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah, the Invasion of the Body Snatchers, like, remake, I guess, with Donald Sutherland, but... Um, speaking of remakes, so this this is a remake that I don't know how many people know that, but um, uh, sure, I take issue with that. Okay, I don't think it's a remake. I think it's, and we might have covered this in our remakes episode. I think it's an adaptation because mm. it's it's adapted from a thing from another. No, it, there's a movie called The Thing from Another World, mm. which is an adaptation of a novella. Do you remember what that one's called? Yeah, the novella's called Who Goes There. Okay, so there you go. So the, so this movie is a different adaptation to that novella. Yeah, it's like a reimagining, I guess, because this, from what I've heard, is closer to the book. Because I've not read it, but or, or seen uh, The Thing from Another World, um, which was 1951. But yeah, John Carpenter apparently saw that in the movies um, when he was younger and loved it. Uh, but he was saying the creature in that was more like a Frankenstein-esque Kind of monster, okay. um, where it was kind of like stiff and humanoid and spoke, whereas oh, okay. yeah, whereas he saw it and he's like, man, this has so much potential to be scary because uh, he was saying like in the book the idea that it can imitate and mm-hmm. it can look like anyone and anything, um, which means you know you don't know who who is um, infected. I think they say or, sure. or who the thing is well, imitated. Yeah, yeah um, just makes it all the more scarier. And, um, yeah, the 1938 novella uh, by John W. Campbell Jr. 
um, has yeah seen seen a lot of um, popular culture renditions, I guess, of mm-hmm. of his work, which um, is quite interesting. But uh, John Carver did not write this one, so this was written by Bill Lancaster. And some of the other directors they had considered to shoot it were Toby Hooper okay. and John Landis. Which one's John Landis? An American what? werewolf in London. Okay, gotcha. Which, sure. for the thing, you know, and the practical effects, could have worked. Yep. Um, Toby Hooper? Toby Not Hooper? so sure. That'd be yeah. slightly interesting, I think. He's hit and miss for me because I love Texas Chainsaw, as you know, but Poltergeist... <laughs> That I saw that on TV not too long ago, and I was I was watching it with with my dad, with my stepdad, and it's not great. <laughs> it's uh, I know in the past on this pod I've said, yeah, look, it's worth watching at least once, and maybe it is because it's you know of its status in the genre. Yeah, it's an icon. But yeah, in ter- as far as like the practical effects go, like nowhere near the par of you know some of the other films that came out in that era. Um, but yeah, uh, I'm glad Carpenter took it on. And uh, an all-male cast, which uh, rather interesting. Yep. Which, um, which apparently is one of the, the the other differences from that other, like the thing from another world. Mm. There was like a, a female character that was a love interest. Yeah. And he's like, nah, no women allowed. Yeah, I There's think... It's a boys club. I think I saw in an interview that Carpenter specifically wanted uh, an all-male cast because, um, you know, the isolated research team that this film uh, follows, um, you would get a lot of that kind of... Um, Sort of that locker room talk and mm-hmm. sort of the the practical jokes and things like that, and you know having that kind of uh, like I said in uh, the Descent episode, um, comparing that to Dog Soldiers, you've got like a really hyper masculine kind of cast. Um, but it's interesting because you've got Kurt Russell, the man playing the man. man. Yeah, uh, some other actors including uh, Keith David and Wilford Brimley, but um, the the main character of this film uh is kurt russell mcgreedy but the leader of the group sort of in the plot kind of changes and it it he kind of becomes the leader sort of once shit starts hitting the fan and mm-hmm. there's no one else to kind of step up he's, he's the, the, the the trope of the reluctant leader yeah he kind of takes control of the situation when the person that they kind of vote says no <laughs> yeah which is interesting because oh my memory is a bit off the person they vote dr norris Dr. Norris, isn't he, would he be imitated at that point in the story? I don't think so the, because... The, the timeline is all over the place for when and who got infected in this movie. But you can you can dive deep into like some Reddit stories of people trying to pick apart and figure it out exactly. Oh, actually, um, that's a good point. Because cause, I, cause I was reading one, one timeline that suggested that Norris was the, I think, second one to get infected. Mm. Like they said Palmer was the first... The dude in the overalls, yeah, uh, like the I don't know, the hats, right? Like the trucker-looking guy, and then Norris. Mm, okay, because I really like that Clark, the dog handler guy, was a red herring in sure. this because everyone suspects it's him, and they're like, "Oh, keep an eye on him, watch him closely," because obviously he was around the dog, which is the first kind of imitation that they come across. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but then when they do like the blood test in the petri dish at the end, he's he's not. Um, so that was really cool. But yeah, I think you're right, actually, now I think about it. Dr. Norris, because he, he does kind of politely decline, but I think I was watching an interview with that actor uh, in like special features of the DVD that um, it's never kind of explicitly said and you never really see it until, you know, when he dies on the table. Hmm. Um, but he, that sort of actor interpreted that in the script as 
being infected and it sort of knew that if he took control, they would figure it out. Yeah, okay. So it maybe it only has like a surface level mm. like ability to imitate, but then when it really gets into the weeds of it, mm. it doesn't really have the... I don't know, human ingenuity or something yeah, like that. Yeah, it's got like the self-awareness to know that like, if, if it wants to live, yeah, actually, it's got to like that, blend in. That kind of makes complete sense because the whole like idea of this creature is it's the perfect, like it hides. It hides mm. inside organisms and just hides and waits and bides its time. Yeah. And you, you can't really hide when you're the center of attention making all the decisions. Yeah. And uh, I think Kurt Russell was a really interesting choice. Um, I really like at the start where he's kind of this like outcast character he's not like the intimidating leader that he kind of becomes because i love when he's kind of playing that like arcade chess game <laughs> and he like tips his whiskey into the fucking circuit uh, board of it yeah fries it that was great um but yeah he just kind of like emerges uh of the group because he's very like level-headed and and calm well I, i'm pretty sure i read that uh there was like a backstory that was written by either him or or him and Carpenter, or him and the writer, or mm. it was at some point written that the backstory was he was a uh, like an ex-Vietnam pilot. Oh, was, okay. That was discharged, and he had like PTSD and stuff. Okay. And so that's sort of why he was like the most level-headed, or the gore didn't bother him. Why he could, like barely slept. Yeah. Uh, but then it was just kind of cut out of the movie, so they didn't reference it. But mm. like that would have informed his acting of it and how he portrayed the character in the time. Yeah. Okay. I like that. And uh, interestingly, so the music was not by Carpenter this time, but by Ennio Morricone. It was nominated for the worst musical score at the Razzie Awards. What the fuck? But, okay, continue. Funnily enough, um, unused music from this film was later used in The Hateful Eight uh, by Quentin Tarantino, (laughs) and it won an Oscar. See, this is why I think the Razzie Awards are stupid. Did people just hate this film when it came out? (laughs) I don't know, but why? I don't know. I don't know. know. Because I saw some negative reviews were that like the excessive kind of gore and practical effects was like unnecessary. Sure. But I think like whenever a film kind of hits like cult classic status um, in certain genres, it kind of takes sort of pushing the envelope and setting new boundaries to sort of uh, set the bar again. And and it kind of gains notoriety, I guess, for that regard. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm. But uh, um, I, I do think, uh, well, I don't want to take credit for this, but I've read some stuff that said people think that uh, one of the reasons it flopped so hard were people, it left a sour taste in their mouth is mm. because it was released not long after E.T. <laughs> and so people were used <laughs> oh, to the, the alien movie being a little friendly, family-friendly fic. Yeah, fic, yeah, uh, okay. And then you get this. Yeah, well, I mean, Fear of the Unknown is always the most terrifying thing, I think, in horror movies. Mm-hmm. And uh, a thing that... Not only is like literally alien and ancient, but also can look like you. Is terrifying. Yeah. yeah. Well, so let's let's get into that aspect of the movie because that's I think what it does the absolute best is the pure like paranoia mm. is present throughout the whole movie, and that's where the general fear comes from. It's like yeah, there's yeah there's a monster on the loose, and you get that in a lot of other monster movies because this very much is a monster movie. Mm. Uh, but it's it's not just out there hiding waiting to strike it's one of them is it or one or Mm. more it could literally be anyone yeah like like after the dog mutates and they figure out that it can create like a mirror image of anything it kind of becomes a whodunit yeah yeah it's got it's it's got mystery it's got intrigue it's got gore it's got men an interrogation and um a couple of very good scares 
Yeah, yeah, man. There's no cheap scares in this film. Um, I, I think I'm gonna put the uh, the jump scare in the blood test. Yep. I'm gonna put that up there with one of my favorites. Yeah, how it like up, rears up. Put up, put it up there right next to the descent. Mm. In fact, more than the descent. Yeah, okay. I think it's better because, okay. like, what we love about a good jump scare is the like the suspense building and the misdirect, and this does it perfectly. Like the whole the whole uh, scene. Is just tense. It mm. builds for so long. You know exactly what they're doing, and so you know something's going to happen. Yeah. Uh, and then, like literally, just for the scare, he's saying to like Gary or something. Mm. Gary or Carrie? Uh, I think there's a Gary. Irrelevant. The the leader guy. He points to him and he says like We're going to do you last. And mm. so like in your mind, you think, Okay, well now we're expecting something on that last one. Yeah. And then right then is when it jumps up, so it really catches you off guard. Mm, that's what I mean. A lot of red herrings in this film, um, which is done really well. But even like coming off the back of a jump scare and keeping the tension going, like when uh, the three of them are tied up and it's the dude you don't expect that starts mutating and they're all like strapped to the chair, <laughs> like, get me the fuck out of here. Like, yeah. oh man. Um, it just, yeah, puts you on edge. And uh, I think as well. Because they they watch they do like a lab test and they watch the cells like uh, assimilating and like imitating other cells mm-hmm. uh, and then is that the guy that they kind of what what's the word they kind of like banish him to that yeah, like igloo think, hut kind of thing Blair perhaps yeah yeah and, and I love that he's the one that's sort of like the most informed because he's the one that starts like trashing the room right yep. and he takes an axe to the radio and yeah, starts he, shooting at people he's the main doctor on the on the output in the outpost and so he does the autopsies and stuff and he's the one doing the most research on it yeah and so he's obviously the first one to figure out that it is assimilating and yeah. imitating and so that completely sends him on a rampage of like like immediately he snaps to well it's not getting out of here i'm gonna like destroy every way out of here destroy the mm-hmm. communications mm-hmm. uh maybe i'm just gonna kill everyone you know yeah but he immediately puts like the whole human race ahead of them yeah and and i think that's really interesting because as a viewer you're like okay he's the one i'm most certain is human because he knows like how dangerous it is and is willing to kill himself and other people to yeah. ensure that it's eradicated Yet, turns out, like, he's out there fucking burrowing under the ice and getting spare parts from the shipwreck and the helicopter to, like, create a way out of there. Yeah, but that that's another thing I love, though, is because it has that scene of him trashing it and he is the, the most likely to be human at that point because mm. it wouldn't make sense if he is the thing or a the thing uh, to do all that because he wouldn't want to trash his way out. So he's, mm. I think he's human at that point. Oh yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah. yeah, and so, but then it's like, when does he become infected? Yeah, like in this film, I don't know for the average viewer, but at no point did I ever like guess who was infected. Like every time mm. I was wrong, and yeah. I just think that's great acting and and story writing. And uh, we got to get into the effects. So the practical effects were done by a young gentleman named Rob Bottin, mm-hmm. who was twenty one. When he started work on this film, boy, just another that man had a bright future. <laughs> just another, another person to make us feel like shit. Yeah, yeah, what a legend. Um, and one of them was also uh, done by Stan Winston and his team, mm-hmm. simply the, because the, of the overload. The, the dog, I think. Yeah, the dog, yeah. the hand puppet. <laughs> <laughs> because there was so much work that this kid had taken on that I saw in an interview that he was essentially living there at the studio for a year and working every day and night sleeping on set just to get it looking as good as it did. 
Damn. So props to him because it absolutely paid off. Yeah. Uh, and Carpenter specifically didn't want the monsters to be men in a suit because, you know, he grew up watching things like King Kong and Godzilla and, um, you know, even Alien. Mm. You know, as much as I love that film, at the end of the day, it's a dude in a suit. Yeah. Uh, so he specifically wanted sort of animatronics and um, puppetry and... Uh, amputees yeah yeah all these really cool practical effects so yeah that is something i thought was sick um when the doctor gets his hands cut off and they just use a a guy that lost his forearms in an industrial accident and put a prosthetic face on him and had him stagger backwards with fake blood everywhere yeah with wearing a mask of the actor's face yeah that's so funny uh but yeah some some awesome efforts and uh i think um as well, there's uh, one guy who was on set, one of the production managers or something, that was saying uh, at any time there's always just buckets of KY jelly <laughs> lying around because they would just slick uh, the characters and um, you know the practical effects with with this gooey bloody substance <laughs> just to to give it that effect. Nice. I mean, KY jelly very. Uh very thoroughly used in the special effects. Yeah. Because what not that what's used for like the xenomorphs like saliva and stuff? Isn't yeah. Jelly? Predator blood. Predator blood, with, yeah. With uh, glow stick <laughs> liquid. Yeah. Um, made on a budget of $15 million, but only did uh, 19.6 at the box office. Mm. So yeah, like you said at the start, it wasn't wasn't a hit at the time. It took a minute to uh, to reach its, its cult classic status. Yep. Uh, but yeah, shot in Alaska and British Columbia. Uh, in Canada, and uh, some of the outdoor shots, they found this sort of mountain peak that was used, uh, I think, log trucks were going up and down, but it was just at the end of their season, so it pretty much was um, unused, so it was uh, this sort of idealistic set for them, they just had to kind of cover it with ice, and um, I think to one side, all you could see was trees, so they (laughs) built the research station like on that side. And then it ended up actually snowing. So it gave the set that real natural effect, um, nice. which is really cool. Uh, and for the internal scenes, they were shot at Universal Studios and the sets were cooled to negative two degrees Celsius. Wow. Okay. But then when they emerged from those sets to the, the mountaintop, it was as hot as like 38. <laughs> Jesus. So when they're win- wearing their like winter gear and, um, you know, and all these jackets and gloves and everything, and then they're stepping out into that heat. Um, after a while, like when they're on lunch breaks and things, they would just stay in in costuming and just. That's how you get bear it. That's how you get sick or heat stroke or something. Yeah, yeah, it's like the fucking Exorcist set when they had to be able <laughs> to see their breaths. So props to them for that. Um, and oh, I don't know about the opening, man, because like I forgot about the like animated ship. Um, yep. uh, going through space. I forgot about all that because I thought it was just kind of inferred and then, you know, they see like the Norwegians dig up the spaceship from the ice. I didn't know they actually showed that at the start. I I and Alex both also forgot about that. Yeah. Uh, the, literally the first shot is a, a alien spacecraft. A just <laughs> flying through space. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's very tonally different from the whole movie. Yeah. So that's why it's a bit strange. I feel like that sequence hasn't aged well, but how sick, this is what I mean, I'm torn. How sick is that title card? Yeah. Very close to the original, or sorry, to the thing from Another World. Sure, yeah. Um, do you know much about that? Like that, I, that I, sequence? I know it in, to do it, I know it involved maybe a plastic bag, mm-hmm. a fish tank. Yeah. And this is the weirdest sex position I've ever heard. <laughs> and maybe some smoke. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. They they filled a fish tank 
with smoke and stretched a black garbage bag over the cross of the animation cell. And then they shone a light through the back of the fish tank and just set fire to the bag. So it just burned away to reveal the thing with this smoky, sort of dimly lit background. And it's just, it's one of the most iconic, I think, <laughs> horror title yeah. cards ever. I mean, wild. Yeah, to, to think that someone like came up with that to think of it is so cool. Yeah, there are some truly uh, genius people out there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that was sick. Uh, but yeah, set in Antarctica. So I thought that was interesting because it's this very sort of cold and barren landscape um, and unfamiliar, like space. Sure, yeah. But you go from seeing the deep black of space to the blinding white of the snow. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I thought that was an interesting contrast. Um, and also one of the most perfect settings for the isolation. Sure, one Literally a, a continent where the only other people are in your camp. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, no contact for up to two weeks, you know, in the dialogue when they're trying on the radio. And um, e- even when the Norwegians and the helicopter are shooting the dog, and then as soon as he lands it, he blows up the helicopter. Yeah. Um, and gets shot. I just love that opening scene because there's no explanation. Yeah, that, I was going to bring it up. Like, the... If you if we ignore the the source of flying through space, mm. then the first scene is just a, like a dog running through ice, yeah, and then a helicopter chasing it, shooting it, and then immediately it's like, what the fuck's going on? Yeah, like it, it starts the story right in the middle of some action, leaves some questions, mm. uh, and then like with that isolation thing, I I think it's quite interesting how like yeah, the only other people would be other scientists. Also in Antarctica time, yeah, uh, and it just so happens that they're Norwegian, so they don't speak the same language. Yeah, and so even yeah. even though they do, then get to each other and like, oh yeah, well you'd think they'd be able to maybe discuss what's going on. Mm. No, he speaks Norwegian, so you don't even understand him, and yeah. then he just starts shooting. Yeah, very good idea. Because I can't quite remember the first time I saw it, but I can imagine unless you read the blurb or you saw the trailer and there was something about like a shape shifting alien. If you saw that first scene and it's just this dude shooting at a dog, you would have been like. What the hell? Yeah. But if you know, you know, that plot, you could have been like, oh, okay, so something's <laughs> up with the dog. Sure. But it's it's quite subtle. Um, and even as the, the first act kind of um, rolls on and uh, the dog is acting like quite normally. Yeah. Well, it's, it's perfectly imitating a dog. Yeah. And it's not till it's kind of introduced with the other dogs in the pen um, and it starts like growling and, and acting real weird that um, you start getting suspicious. But mm. yeah, I just, I forgot sort of how well that worked as an yeah. opener. And I like how, like, they're not immediately suspicious because in their mind, they just immediately put it down to, like, stir-crazy, cabin fever. Mm. Like, it's the, like, just the Norwegian men who have gone crazy. And yeah. It's like, well, the dogs, you know, it's a dog, you know. Yeah. There's, surely there's nothing wrong with it. They've just gone crazy and tried to kill it. Mm, mm. Particularly because they've already got dogs like that. So, mm. yeah, they're kind of, they're kind of used to it. Um, but also, when they go to that kind of camp and the the doctor and McReady like find the mutilated corpse and then there's that like burned body with like two faces and like extra long limbs Mm -hmm. I just love when they come back and they're like dissecting it and and doing the autopsy and everything and it's just such good like makeup (laughs) such a cool um, like grotesque work of art really yeah I love with that of the like when it's in the snow, it's like, oh yeah, it looks pretty grotesque. Mm. Once they bring it back, it starts to defrost and get gooey. <laughs> More like, KY jelly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> blood. Absolutely. And I, and I also love the small detail of like when they do find that mutilated body in the Norwegian center mm. is a guy who's like committed suicide, but the blood has like frozen as yeah, it's dripping. Yeah. Like that that's cool. 
Yeah. I don't know if that had happened, but it's cool. Yeah, I don't know. I think I've I've seen like documentaries before where they've been in super cold climates and they've like wet a towel, spun around their head once and it's like frozen stiff. Okay, that's cool. So what's it would the, what, probably what's, happen. What's the freezing point of blood though? Hold on, let know. me check my freezer. Well, what's our internal bottle temp- body temperature? Like 26, is it, it? I thought it was like 37. How wild would it be if you... It's like that cold, shot himself in the head, blood sprayed out and like froze in like a thought bubble behind <laughs> his head. This red cloud midair. I like it. That's fucking morbid. Um, that reminds me of a really sick scene in the movie Clown that I want you to watch soon so we Eli can Rock. talk about it on the pod. Yes. Nice. Yes. Anyway, we'll get to that. Getting off track as usual for us. Um, that dog mutation is gnarly, man. It comes into this like... Spider monster with a flower face like a fucking Demogorgon yeah. from Stranger I'm, Things. I'm always a sucker for some like a monster that opens its face up. Like yeah. you got that, you got Predator, you got the Resident Evil dogs. Yeah, yeah. I also didn't realise um the first couple times seeing this until watching it this week for the pod that when that like bulb kind of head comes out of the opening, it's a bunch of dog tongues. Mm-hmm. And then when yep. the, they like unfurls, they're just like lined with teeth. Canines, yep. Yeah, that was gnarly. Um, and also, I forgot about like the rubber tentacles everywhere to like shoot out like these little tendril things and latch yeah. on of it. Though, like the the small ones that just sort of flap about, they <laughs> yeah, I don't know, they they gross. Man. Mm. Yeah, they, they are the grossest part to me, and I don't know why. Yeah, I don't know what it is. Like when. Like when you get the defibrillation scene and it's mm. like an open cavity, and then the tentacles start. Oh, like the fucking the body melt pregnant woman stomach. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like I don't know, I don't know what it, what makes that particular part of it so gross to me, but that that's the bit that gets yeah. me. Yeah, things with tentacles, they're just freaky. Sure, yeah. O- octopus is fascinating and intelligent and cool as they are. Gross. <laughs> yeah, gross. Uh, but yeah, and also the like three toed arms that like reach out and it fucking like. Mm-hmm chin-ups itself out of the room like yeah just such a strange scene like one thing happens you're like what the fuck nothing happens and it's just levels up each time and then it just ends with like the guys standing around like what did i just see and i think that's exactly how the audience would feel um at the end of that moment but yeah really cool introduction to what this film is capable of uh and i also like that they pull uh, a bunch of videotapes out of the Norwegian camp, bring that back. And that's how they kind of see that they found this spaceship and they dug it up. And one of the guys that goes to investigate um, kind of says, you know, this ice is probably like 100,000 years old. Mm-hmm. So you've got this entity that's been around for ages. And as a result, it's kind of gone through the galaxy and found different life forms it can imitate. So mm-hmm. when it does take the form of something or when it's distressed and being attacked and it's kind of... Uh, in the middle of evolving, you've got like all these creatures from other planets and other universes that it's got like cells and memory mm-hmm. of that that we've never seen before. Throw out some tentacles or yeah, legs, leg, spider legs and shit like that. Yeah, it turns into a fucking Japanese spider crab. Yeah, exactly. Crawls off. Uh, yeah. So I thought that was really interesting. Um, and I think I can't remember what studio it was. Um, or it was like a magazine. I think uh, in promotion for the film when it was in theaters. Um was asking people to write in what they think the thing would look like. <laughs> okay. And that's the whole point is it doesn't have a single form. Yeah. So I thought that was cool. Uh, yeah, man. Something about autopsies, I guess, on that note. Um, we've mentioned this in a few of the other episodes, but like the clinical gore um, and like lab tests, it's just something about it is just 
gross and unsettling and mm-hmm. like scooping the organs out one by one and um, you can see like half deformed dogs in it. And that everything. was fine. That was all because it's 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 far enough away that it looks not fake. It looks quite real, mm. but it it you can remove it from your mind. The the small detail that gets me, like the the nail in the foot, is when they're cutting oh. that they cut their thumb for the blood test. Yeah, it's like yeah. why you okay, you need blood, cool. Why you got to do it that way, man? Yeah, why do you have just, to fill a petri dish? Yeah, or just and it's not like do you know how often you use the pad of your thumb? Yeah, do you, like the back of your hand or something. I don't know. I could never do that. Why didn't they just like inject them and like draw out blood through a needle? I don't know. Because <laughs> they're idiots. They're dumb. But yeah. Uh, and also the first guy, I guess, that changes, uh, that sort of became a big focus of the, the prequel they did, but, um, where he's like running out in the snow and just drops to his knees. And then he turns to look at him with like the invasion of the body snatchers look on his face. Mm-hmm. And he's just got like these like rubbery elongated hands yep. that are like lobster claws or something. Salad fingers. <laughs> yeah. Just disturbing. And I love that you get like... Well, I don't know. I was going to say, I love that you get like little glimpses of that before big reveals in the film that catch you off guard, like the defib scene. But even like the first like encounter with it is the dog. And it's this full on wide shot of this <laughs> hideous thing. So they kind of just like grab you by the throat early on. Yeah. I guess. So I digress. There's no easing you into this. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I also like when, um, you know, they start splitting off and turning on each other and, and the whole situation gets out of control uh and i can't remember the character but one of them's out there with mcready and he like locks him out but when he comes in they find him and he's got like a flamethrower and a bundle of dynamite backed himself into a corner yeah um so it's like okay this guy's like got control of the situation now um and then he just spends the rest of the film with his back to wall and a flamethrower ready to go (laughs) like yeah because that big alien vibes paranoia is real yeah yeah, um, but man, that that CPR scene uh, that works so well because it's so sudden, <laughs> so unexpected. Um, just like goes to give him a compression, and the hands go through the chest, and they open up into these like jaws, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. snaps his arms off, uh, and just like it, as if that wasn't enough, the dude's head just fucking stretches, and his <laughs> neck is just like a meter long. Heads over the other end of the table, drops to the ground, and then sprouts these spider legs and scampers off. When you get the whole, you got to be fucking kidding yeah. <laughs> line. The icon that it is. Yeah, that scene, man, it's just, like I said with the dog thing, it just levels itself up, up and up. And it's just such a gnarly watch, like, when is this going to end? And um, I read, I sorry, not I read, I, I watched in an interview um, with uh, Rob Botin that... For the neck, they just stuffed a bunch of gum and plastics and things in there so they could heat it from underneath and it would stretch and oh, just yeah. drop to the ground. Um, but as they were shooting that the first time, um, they everyone was like, oh, what's that smell? And they realized they're burning plastics and there was all these like <laughs> toxic fumes in the air. And while they were shooting it, it exploded. What the hell? So it was okay. like months of work just obliterated in the first take. Um, so they have to had to recreate it with with different substances to get the desired effect Jeez. and the put bud- the guy in the makeup again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and that's obviously where they use that dude without the the forearm. Mm. So that scene in general just sounded expensive and time consuming, but very worth it. Very worth it. It's it's pretty much a standout scene in mm. I think the entire movie. And as we've said, that line you've got to be fucking kidding has been recycled 
so many times, mm-hmm. and, and even just a, a spidery-looking thing uh, yep. has been done um, in other horror films so often. Uh, so they go out and they they do the blood test, and that's when they go to Blair in his like isolated hut, right? Because he's the last guy they haven't done. Yeah, I think at that yep. point. Yeah, and, and that's when they find the ship and everything. Uh, and there's an interesting point in the story here because McGreedy, who is sort of the leader at this point. Uh, and ruling with an iron fist, he just decides to blow everything up and he kind of like makes the statement that like we cannot let this thing live even mm-hmm. if it means killing ourselves. And he's just so matter-of-fact about it. Um, but no, the, the others are obviously like kind of reluctant to to follow his lead. But I just love how kind of quickly he's decided that and he's just come to accept that, yep, yeah, all right, I'm, I'm going to die with this thing. Yep. Um, I don't... I don't know. Could you do that? Because, like, even in films like Alien and, and other films where they're, like, on a ship, they, like, fight for their life to make it out alive. And he's just like, no. Nah. Well, yeah, I mean, at that point, yeah, like, the the helicopter's already been disabled. The communication's already disabled. Like, fucking destroyed. Yeah. The tractors have already been disabled. They've blown up the the ship that Blair built. Yeah, it's like there's a low chance of them actually getting out anyway. And so then you got this thing where... What I can't remember what the time frame was, but it was like time until the entire human population is assimilated was very short, mm. and so I think it was like twenty one hours or some shit like that. Oh, like they did the maths. Okay, they have, they have like a computer simulation, mm. and so it's like, yeah, that's a pretty easy decision, I think. Like yeah, me okay. and a couple of you know colleagues or the entire world. Yeah, I'm not that selfish. Yeah, that's fair. A very, very noble choice. But I was just thinking, like, it's in Antarctica. Like, it's already this segregated continent and every method of transport back, uh, you know, is obliterated. I just would have thought they would have tried to fight a bit more. But then again, I guess it's already proven how elusive and dangerous it is. So Yeah, plus I think there's also brings it back to, like, the like earlier when the guy said, oh, yeah, it's, like, 100,000, like, roughly 100,000 years old. Mm. Like, that kind of sets up that, in the ice, it's just going to... Like, it survives in the ice for that long. And yeah. so, if, if they don't kill it and burn it, then it'll go get in the ice and whatever. And then it might be like a 1,000 years, 10,000 years in the future, mm, whatever. That's true. Eventually, it'll become someone's problem again. Yeah. It'll it's just, just hibernate till it's found. Yeah, it's just hibernating. Or, or we can do what we can to just make sure it's dead now. Mm. Yeah, okay. That's true. Uh, and I like when Blair does pop up and he kind of, like, grabs the guy and, like, sticks his fingers in into his face. It reminded me a lot of, of um, Frank and Julia in Hellraiser when he okay, comes yeah. back and he like grabs her and yeah, I don't know, just gave me those vibes except he didn't get like drained of, of blood through fingertips. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and he just turns into this like half dog, half man, worm looking thing that just ruptures the earth and, and pops out and yeah, strange, very yeah. strange. And I saw some storyboard sketches of this creature and I didn't notice like watching it until I saw the storyboard that like one arm was normal and the other one was like dogs coming out of the side oh, of him. Okay. Um yeah, and he had this big like long snake tail which was pretty gnarly. Just goes back to that conglomeration of different you know, yeah. things that it's assimilated before. Different organisms to create these horrendous monsters. Mm. And uh that scene to have like the floor kind of breaking apart as it came toward McGreedy. 
Apparently that was a, a big metal ball on like a trolley under floorboards. Okay. And they literally just yanked it along this track and it just broke its way towards him. Damn. Just um, once again, practical effects fucking yeah. looking good. That's yeah. What we like. So sick. It wasn't just him like diving away in front of a green screen on some <laughs> wires. It was this, the floor was rupturing before yeah. his eyes and he had to get out of the way. So that was pretty sick. And all throughout this movie, using real explosions for the explosions instead of just yeah, yeah some yeah. guy looking and then insert video effect of explosion happening. Yeah, yeah. What is happening outside? Is there a drag race ready to go in your street? I don't know if the mic can pick that up, but... Or a, a mower with like a V8 engine in it? I don't know. <laughs> anyway. Um, what did you think of the ending? Such an iconic film, mm-hmm. and then you get an ambiguous... Sort of unresolved ending like that. I want to yeah. see your thoughts. Uh, I like it. I'm fine with it. I don't think it needs anything definitive. Like I, th- So the way I interpret it mm-hmm. is that, yep, they've killed it and neither of them are the thing. That's the way I see it. Mm. Uh, but I do like that they set it up to be ambiguous so that like fifty to f- 40 to 50 years later, people mm. can still argue... No, I think that McCready is the thing, or I think that Charles is the thing, or mm. I think they're both the thing, mm. but they just mm. don't know it. Yeah, because it definitely seems to be like leaning towards that Charles could be it because he seems hesitant to just like wait it out. Yeah. Uh, I've seen all, I've read all like the, the theories and stuff online of like, oh, this is why Charles is the thing. And mm. It's like, oh, there's one that because you don't see his breath, whereas you see McCready's breath. Uh, okay. But then, okay. you know, that. You know, the, the people say, well, that's just a, a because of the way the shot, like the scene is shot and lit, mm. is that it just doesn't show up on the camera, but mm. that doesn't mean anything. I think uh, I did read as well that Kurt Russell would smoke a cigarette before his close up scenes yeah. so his breath was hot and it would steam. Yeah. Um, there's another one that I think during the, uh, the blood test scene, it was worked out with John Carpenter and the, I don't know if it was a cinematographer or the lighting man mm. that. In that scene, uh, everyone who's a human has like light on their eyes or reflected in their eyes, yep. whereas Palmer doesn't. His eyes are always in darkness or in shadow uh, or something. Okay. Uh, and so then people point to that in the, the last scene, neither of them or one of them doesn't have light in their eyes. Mm. But then even that, John Carpenter's gone and be like, well, like that wasn't established at that time. I, yeah. think, I think they shot it out of order. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Uh, Mm, but yeah, I, just, I think it's interesting how people can be like, no, this is this is the reason, or this is the reason where it's mm. there's no definitive answer. It's just ambiguous. I, I do like that McReady and Charles are the last two left because there's a lot of tension between those two throughout the film. Yeah, like Charles is very kind of like hot tempered guy mm-hmm. and um, yeah, beefing with Mac a lot. Yeah, but I did read that they did shoot another ending that showed them getting rescued by helicopter. And McReady doing a blood test, but and that was in case audience uh, test audiences didn't like the open ending yep. that they used. But like they already did the the blood test, and if you do another one and don't show the result, like it's the same effect. It's yeah. an open ended ambiguous but, yeah. ending. Yeah, I don't know, but uh, um, no, I, 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 like I think it. there was also a game tie-in that John Carpenter has said is canon that okay. has McReady survive. Okay, uh, but. You know, mm. do with that what you will. I, no, I'm just here for the movie. It would have been interesting um, to have an ending like The Shining and it's just the two of them uh, waiting out, uh, you know, in the explosion, having a cigarette or whatever. And then it cuts like the next morning and they're frozen in broad daylight. But 
like then it rolls the credits. So it's like, okay, they both died, but was one of them infected and yeah. is now going to hibernate in the ice? Until yeah, I guess it's it's like the same effect of like an ambiguous ending, but mm. with the well, they're definitely dead. Yeah, because at, at least in this ending, it's like well. Yeah, one of them might be the thing, one not. Mm. But they might survive, they might not. Yeah. They're not surviving, they're both going to die. I think that would have been a, a cooler ending. Or, you know, potentially. Uh, I hate to, you know, tell John Carpenter <laughs> what to do. But I think that would have been a cooler ending because, like, either way, it's, like, not a good one. Not a happy one. Yeah. Because either one of them died, one of them's infected, which means the monster wins, the alien wins. They both died. <laughs> no one wins. Um, and then, yeah, you could have, like... The rescue helicopter in the background the next day or something when they're both frozen and you never know if one is the thing or not. Well, you missed one. What if they're both the thing? Oh, even better. Because I've heard Double people trouble. with that theory. Because because there's the whole uh, like the whole point of the blood test is that once a bit of the organism is separated from itself, mm. it becomes essentially its own separate organism. Okay. And so it doesn't have like a hive mind or anything. Yeah. And so it's like imagine two versions of the thing sitting there, mm. but they're both trying like pretending not to be the trying thing. Trying to bluff the other. So they're both trying to bluff the other, and it's just okay. Just two Spider Men pointing at each other. <laughs> I mean, that could be interesting because then like they are both more than happy to wait it out because that's what that organism does. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Interesting. Oh, there is a small touch though that I like in that. Like, Kurt Russell is drinking from the scotch bottle mm. and, uh, like, he hands it to Charles and Charles drinks it yeah. when it's been established in the movie that you can get infected from, like, germs and stuff over uh, thing. Okay, yeah. And so that that's kind of like a... Like, at that point, either Charles believes him mm. uh, or just doesn't care. Yeah, okay. So, I don't know. Interesting, interesting. But, yeah, very cool film. Uh, I love the, the practical effects, the makeup, the animatronics... Uh, everything in this is is really well done, really gritty, um, very 80s. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also, I guess, more to, to John Carpenter's credit, I really love his style. But, and I know he doesn't edit his own films, but the, the editing of this was very slow. And I like that he has a lot of long, drawn-out shots with minimal kind of camera movement because it really lets you look around. Mm-hmm. And like sure. you're there with the characters. And particularly a setting like this, um, as tense as it is, it just really lets you like stewing it yeah <laughs> which i thought was really cool um yeah and you can kind of like put more more attention to detail in the sets because you're letting the, the audience kind of really live and breathe it which i really enjoy um and also uh a lot of slow zooms on characters like right up in their faces i enjoyed because it makes you like second guess whether you think they're infected or human and yep. you, you're like studying them for any like sign of infection. <laughs> yeah, see if they give it away. Yeah, yeah. So I thought that was a really nice touch as well. Um, and another thing that's uh, kind of parallel to other films of his, like Halloween uh, and and Christine, is playing a song where the lyrics reflect the themes of the film. Like when you hear um, Superstition by Stevie Wonder, <laughs> yeah. and he's like playing it in the kitchen. And it's like, obviously the whole fucking film, um, you're like superstitious, but... I also love the fact that I think his name's I think that's Noel's character. I think I don't know if that's yeah. how to pronounce. Oh yeah, yeah. But I just love the fact that like he's just rocking around on like skateboards like, in this place. Oh roller skates, roller skates. Yeah, um, skateboards. Yeah. Fucking hell. That's pretty cool. I wondered like what the reason for that was or whether it was because just a it's show. cool as shit. It is cool. Maybe he was just like a cool character and was just showing he's like fun and yeah. easygoing. Um, but yeah, I thought that was really really cool. On the nose. Yeah, yeah, but. Um, Man, we've mentioned the thing on this pod so many times and it was uh, well overdue, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. this episode. Um, 
and also just like goes to show how influential it is, I think, as well on modern horror. Yeah. Um, the amount of times it's been referenced uh, in other films, as we said, you know, like fucking It, um, Chapter 2, Trick or Treat, things like that. And um, yeah, one, one of my, uh, f- you know, favorites as well. It's probably in my, uh, I'd say top 20. Be in my top 20. Okay, that's, that's this fine. One. That's good enough. That's yeah. Fine. Is there a shot in this one you'd frame? No, there's not a shot in this one. It's not. It's not like necessarily a visually beautiful movie. Mm. It's. It's more about the the suspicion and the paranoia mm. in this one. It's not just very the, the vibe. Yeah, just the vibe. It's not really visual. Um, yeah. Do you want to talk about like the quote unquote prequel remake at all? The I've, 2011 version. I've seen it once, okay. but I don't really remember anything except for. A thing in the helicopter and like all these tentacles come out and kill a guy and I hated it because it was all CGI. <laughs> That's yeah. the only thing I remember. See, yeah. I even forgot it was a prequel. I thought it was just a remake. So yeah, yeah. do you remember it more closely? Uh, somewhat because it was the first one I saw. I didn't. I, I saw it before I saw this one. Mm. Uh, to maybe my own detriment, but also to its movies. I guess credit. Mm. That means I didn't hate it as much as I guess a lot of other people did. Okay, like okay. I watched it. Because it had Mary Elizabeth Winstead in it, and she's great, what, you know. What would she be in the Final Destination Three or Scott Pilgrim vs. Oh, uh, okay, yeah, you know? yeah, uh, yeah. So I watched it mainly because that, mm. uh, and I I enjoyed it, even though it is very much way too CGI heavy. Like that's mm. the absolute biggest problem with that movie. Yeah. Uh, also, that it didn't. I don't know. We didn't really need to see it. Okay. Like we get enough of the backstory in the original, the mm. thing. With like the little videotape that they find, and that, that's all you need. That okay. I, I don't think they needed to delve deep into it and show every aspect of what happened. So, uh, but I do like. So it's yeah. So it's it. The movie just shows what happened at the original base, which base, which turns out isn't even a fully Norwegian camp. Like there's a lot of American okay. or English speaking characters. Yeah. Um. But yeah, it shows them like finding the dig site, uh, uncovering the alien, mm. and then it pretty much similar to this movie. It just slowly starts taking. Like assimilating them and killing each other. Yeah. But something that I love in that movie is the way they determine who is infected or not, or who is assimilated. Yeah. Is just something that's sort of hinted at, I think, in in the original movie, but is the fact that it can't uh, imitate inorganic matter. So like, if like yeah, people with okay. like fillings in their teeth, at some point in the movie, they single people out who have holes in their teeth or have feelings oh, in their I teeth. Oh, I do remember that, actually. That is smart. Yeah, so like yeah. if they have feelings in their teeth, it means they can't possibly be an imitation because they would have had holes in their teeth because mm. the feelings wouldn't be copied. Yeah, yeah, um, okay. Yeah, and I, I think it's I think it's fine, but does not hold a candle to mm. the original. Yeah, when you're making something that's set beforehand and using CGI, I don't know. And like you said, it sounds like while it is like... It's doing the same things uh, in, like, a different context, you know? Like, it's it's the blood in the Petri dish, mm. blood test, uh, but, you know, the fillings thing. Um, but that is that is cool. I'll give it that. Uh, I was going to ask you before, because I couldn't remember, like, how, like, further, how much further before the thing it was time-wise. But if it's just focused on that camp, that yeah. sounds pointless. Immediately. The, uh, the last shot of the movie is the dog takes off and they fly off into a helicopter. Oh, God. And so it literally leads directly into the movie. See, that's strange because if they set up in the original that it's been, you know, in the ice for 
possibly a hundred thousand years why not have it set like a hundred years ago and have like these antarctic explorers from like the 19th century you know over there and oh and, yeah uh, you know like digging through the ice and then finding the alien that that would have been more interesting time well, wise for me but then where do the helicopter people shooting the dog come from well because that could be the start of the 1982 one set in 1982 uh, okay. i gotcha yeah like just have the prequel set like way before yeah, like like the sure. first time that they ever went to Antarctica. I don't even know when that was. Was it 19th century? I don't know. I don't know. Wasn't it Shackleton? Was it 18th was, Wasn't Shackleton the first guy to do it on the Endeavour? I might uh, be pulling facts out of my ass here. That could be wrong. I'll take your word for it. <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. Who knows? Yeah. Who knows? I'm still... I'm, I wanted to watch it before this episode just mm. to remember if it is as shit as I remember. Well, not as shit as I remember, but if it's as... As bad as people say it is, and I'm just remembering it because of nostalgia. Yeah. Uh, but I'll probably watch it tonight. Okay. I mean, it's impossible really to to make a remake or a prequel or a sequel and not have people compare it to the original. Mm-hmm. But if it does things different enough, then it's fine. But um, you know how I am with like the 70s and 80s body horror though? It's, mm-hmm. it's just something about those practical effects, man. Like I know you said you wouldn't frame any still mm-hmm. from this uh, film. You know what I would love in the dead house is just a mold of those two faces like fused together <laughs> and just have that as like, I don't know, a centerpiece or on a podium in the corner of the room or something sure. like that. That'd be sick. Like, I'll, I'll accept that. That's fine. Yeah. Yeah. But um, you know what? Uh, on the plane, I finished reading The Returned, which was uh, adapted into a, a show about these people that come back like 50 years after they were dead and... Mm-hmm. Um, everyone's got to figure out why and these families get reunited and everything. Um, in the book, you never find out why, by the way. Like, it's just this miraculous thing. You don't know why they've come back or how. Um, so anyway, now that I've finished that, I'm moving on to you. Me? You. <laughs> yeah, another book that became a show with too many seasons. Uh, and, uh, I'm well, intrigued. Yeah, no, true. That's fair. Uh, yeah, I wonder how closely it's going to be this season. Because yeah. you've watched the show. I've right? seen two seasons. Okay. I mean, that's fine. That's enough. Yeah. Stop, Stop right there. Because I assume <laughs> the book is just season one, give or take. I couldn't tell you. I've, but, not, I've not read the book. But yeah. I've, I've heard that it's a good read, though. Mm. I, on the plane ride, mm-hmm. almost finished Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring, yeah. which I started like over a year ago. <laughs> I imagine that's an intimidating undertaking, though. Yeah, especially when... Because I found the first one at an op shop because mm. I like finding books at op shops. I found the first one at an op shop, started reading it. This was like, yeah, over a year ago. Mm-hmm. Fell off reading it and then started reading some other books and then started some goosebumps and then yeah. I've gone back. And then I've gone back and finished this one. Mm-hmm. But I've also, at another op shop, found a collection of all three Lord of the Rings in oh, one like book. An omnibus. So that that's a daunting read. Yeah. Because it's th- yeah. A very, three very long books in one. Good God. How small's the print? <laughs> Uh, I think very, and it's a very large book. Yeah. But now I'm finally keen to start the second one. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that's cool. All right, well, in, I don't know, 20 episodes time, you can let us know <laughs> what it's no, like. No, it'll, it'll take longer than that. Uh, episode 100 is just your review. Yeah. I <laughs> plan on, I, we plan on going camping more, and so that's, mm. that's what I'm dedicating time to read. Yeah, that's kind of why I miss train rides to uni. It's like this hour-long period where I can't do anything but listen to music and read. So mm-hmm. I used to power through books. But yeah. Now it's just like half an hour before I go to bed. And uh, that is like nine o'clock <laughs> these days. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that's enough rambling for this episode. Yep, let's wrap it up. So you can catch us rambling in next episode, next Friday at 5 p.m., mm-hmm. uh, wherever you get your streams. 
Uh, catch us in the meantime on any social media at Deadhouse or deadhousepod at hotmail.com is our email. Yes, yes. I we'll told grab- my dad to uh, send us... Uh, he said he's been listening to the, the pod at work. Mm-hmm. He's got like Bluetooth earmuffs. And uh, he's like, yeah, I like that you guys have differing sort of opinions or interpretations. I've got my own. I was like, well, we've got an email address. And if you've send got, them in. If you've got an opinion, send it in. Yes. Interesting. Always interesting to hear other people's opinions. Other people to correct me when I say wrong stuff because <laughs> that happens. Yes. I'm not... Uh, 100% accurate on everything I say. Mm-hmm, I make mm-hmm. a lot of things up on the on the on the spot and hope they're right. Uh, yeah, we'll be right back.